Welcome to This Old App, a podcast about learning, coding, smashing stuff together, breaking things apart, startups, failing, winning, and any other buzzwords we can think of. Hey, Randy, what have you been up to? Uh, <clears throat> let's see. Uh, I've been doing a lot of coding personally, but let's talk about our podcast. <laughs> we have uh, on CTO Think, our other podcast. We interviewed Greg Pollock, who kind of goes way back in my coding history. He is the founder um, of Code School, which was later bought by Pluralsight. But his tutorials are where a good chunk of developers that have been in the business like 15 years. I think I'll go, there's a good number of developers that were introduced to new web-based technologies through the code school content. For sure. And now Greg has focused and invested his time into Vue.js, which is one of the alternative frameworks, uh, you know, going up against Angular, React, and such. And we talked to him at length about not just why he's betting on Vue, but also like how he succeeded in marketing his tutorials. And, you know, he had a lot of great content related for someone that's either wanting to do tutorials themselves as a business or trying to launch a product um, because he's done it two or three times and he's run a consultancy. He's got a lot of experience in this industry that I think is really relevant. So that was a show we just published. Yeah. I, I, that, that, I really enjoyed that one. Um, as as I said at the end of that that particular episode, um, the the episode ended up turning into a a, a Greg Pollock fan club. Um, <laughs> totally, but, but but I am. Um, he he's here local to Orlando. Um, he's been a central part of the tech community for as long as I have, um, and as somebody I've always admired the work he's done. Um, so I was, I was thrilled to have him on. I thought we had a great discussion. Um, and it's good for, for people to, to just listen to. And it fits a lot of what we're doing. Cause we're, we're starting to put our toe in the water on, uh, on tutorials as well. I'm sitting here yeah. with the, uh, with a gray backdrop next to me. Cause I've been practicing videos. Yep. Yeah, I think it. I think it's worthwhile for everyone to listen to, and and I, I would guess a good number of our audience has at some point seen a Code School video of some kind, um, just because sure. it was really good, well done content, and I can only hope that we can get to that point. <clears throat> um, sure. Other than like, uh, for, in terms of projects, I've been really still focused Firebase, uh, React, React Native, Firebase has been a really big focus a little bit of rails work for a client um and tomorrow i'm gonna end up being a substitute teacher for a boot camp so kind of my usual schedule this summer is what i've been doing what about you so last week uh went out to colorado up in the rockies um keystone resort um, for a conference given by instructure that is the uh, company that produces the canvas lms um, which is what uh, Aspire EDU has has a lot of clients that use that LMS. Um, so 
Uh, it's always a good time. We, we always pull everybody in the company together. So it's kind of our annual retreat as well right. as uh, that conference. Um, this year we did something slightly different. We, I've not done a good job of communicating with instructor, technical staff, uh, technical staff, technical leadership um, in the past. Um, this year we sought them out. Um, we went to their sessions. Um, we engaged them as much as we could so that we could find out what they're doing, how what we're doing is impacting them because we hammer their APIs every night for, for the data we need. Um, and it, it was funny. I was talking to the, the VP of engineering and, and his statement was, oh, you guys are the ones that we removed the threshold for. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so right there, I was like, yeah, you know who we are. Um, so the reason they, they, uh, they remove that threshold is we provide such a good service mm-hmm. um, to the clients. And, and it's, an, it's a good complementary service to what their product does as well. Um, but we had some good discussions about the future. Um, they've got something called live events, which is kind of, um, I think it's a push, uh, of data. And I, I have to look to see what technology they're using, but it's a push of data every time an event happens. So oh, web student, sockets. it's gonna be like, web. yeah, pro- <clears throat> there you go. There you go. Web sockets. So they, they do a, a, a push, uh, if a, if a student does, um, like uh, participates in a discussion, posts a, a discussion. Um, it'll it'll send something. It, it'll send something through so that we can pick it up. Um, the only thing uh, uh, it's using SQSQ. That, that's the acronym I was trying to remember. Um, and the only reason we haven't started to use that because that's really the overnight. Um, work we do on the API is a lot of looking for those discussion posts so that we can, and we're not, we're not reading the discussion posts. We're looking, did the student make one? We, we throw away all the content in it. We're looking for the timestamp really. Um, so the, um, the only problem we have with that, the live events is they have in their documentation, it says, there are circumstances where the event will not get queued. Yeah. And so we read that as, hmm, okay, so you're telling us that it's not guaranteed that the data is there, whereas API, the, the data is pretty much guaranteed. Um, so I, I've asked them to clarify that if that means that if they push an event and it doesn't get queued, does that mean it's gone forever or does that mean they'll get it next time they push something? Um, cause if it's next time they push something, then that's fine. We don't need it real time. We just need the data. Yeah. So that's one thing. Go ahead. Well, I've, I've never, I know that, I mean, even a lot of firms try to say that because there's an error of messages getting lost. And I guess the, the question is always how urgent do you need it? I mean, personally, to me, it's more of like, just send me a message when I need to update by the API, and then I'll in trigger, instead of long polling at a set rate, I will just have something that gets a message saying, you need to update, and then I hit the API instead of 
expecting the data to come through on the message. You know, that's, that's, right. that's why I've seen that less. I've seen more of like subscribe to know when you should pull us, not instead of paying us every five seconds, which is kind of costly for a firm providing data. That's what I would think. Right. And, and we, we would be more than happy to just look every hour. We, like I said, we don't need to know the minute they do yeah. it. We just know that they did it. Um, we're currently we're hitting the API and I tell you, that's probably at least half our load is looking for those discussion posts. Mm. So if we spread those out throughout the day, instead of doing it overnight, when we're doing everything else, um, a, our, our lives would be simpler and B we'd be hammering their hardware less. Um, so I, I think they'd appreciate that. So that was one aspect. The other aspect is they're, they're starting to dive into GraphQL. Um, and, and real briefly, and, and for those out there that, that know GraphQL, this is going to be probably 90% wrong. Um, but GraphQL is essentially an API. It's, it's a tar, I'm, I'm going to say it's a targeted API. So what you can do is you can, you can vary, you can make a query. That's what GraphQL <clears throat> means. It's a, it's a query language. Um, you can make a query for the data you want, as opposed to just hitting an endpoint. Um, usually when you hit an API, you'll hit an endpoint and you might be able to tag on some attributes to it to filter a bit more what you're looking for. Um, GraphQL is, is a bit more targeted to where you can go out there, hit the endpoint, say, give it the query language. Um, and it gives you a much more targeted so, um, result. Let me interject here with, yep. let me give some context to the listener on what we're, what you'd mean by endpoint. So if, uh, if you're setting up an API, traditionally for the last decade, I'd say, if you were setting up a, if you had, let's say you had an application with data that people want to get to, um, in your case, they want they are a specific school that wants to pull data related to their classrooms and students. You would set up an API so that their side, their app, their computer system could reach out with an HTTP call and hit what we call an endpoint, which is really just a URL with some other security measures and stuff around it to say, hey, I want this updated student data. And the approach that we've been using, the pattern is called REST. And so it's, I don't even want to get into what it means. It's just REST, RESTful, some people call it RESTful type of API structure. And the idea is that it's kind of like follows this CRUD pattern, create, read, update, delete. And you create these endpoints using different methods, um, get, post, put for updates, delete, or destroy. And essentially people can interact with your API using this, these restful endpoints. But what happens is over time, as things scale, different companies want different data. They don't need all the data you send back. That's one problem. They're constantly hitting you for maybe two or three fields, but they get everything back. So that's actually inefficient along the pipeline, both on speed and on bandwidth. And then the other thing is that you, the provider, deal with these issues where the CRUD structure isn't exactly what has to happen. You need, you have these kind of one-off queries that people just like, I just need to hit this 
um, I just need to know in the last hour how many changes happened. And you're like, we don't really have a really efficient rest pattern for that one specific endpoint. So then you start creating these edge case endpoints. And now you're basically managing as a company your API over time with all these edge case endpoints that don't actually follow the restful pattern and you have to document all of them. And that's the other thing. So GraphQL is coming in and saying, because everybody comes in to hitting endpoints and maintaining endpoints with all these various needs, let's just make it flexible so that the user can just specify what they want to need and your system is flexible and sends back only what they need and only the actions they need to do. So GraphQL is trying to go from this rigid restful pattern to a more flexible, take what you want when you need it that we give you access to. That's so, how I've tried to explain yeah, it to folks. That, that, that was great. That, that, that led actually right into my next point. So, so you took it and you addressed where I was going next, which was the, one of the discussions we had was them saying, Hey, listen, we know everything you're hitting. So you can't Cause I I'd offered to provide them with any information I could on what we were hitting and, if that would help them at all. And they're like, no, we, we can see what you're hitting. Mm-hmm. What we don't know is what are you throwing away? Yeah. So you talked about how we get all this data back. Well, I told you, we pull all those discussion posts. We don't look at the, the post. We don't look, we don't look at the title. We literally look at who posted it. When did they post it? And that's the, all the information we need for all those posts. So GraphQL can provide just those two things. And I think if the query is written properly and if the server can serve it up properly, we may even be able to say, hey, give us the latest post in any discussion thread by John Smith. That's really all the information we need. So we'll now make one one request when before we had to hit all of them. Yeah. So... That's that's to be that's very specifically what we're trying to target. So that may be one way to handle it. The live events may be a way to handle it. We're still digging into that. Um, the I guess it shouldn't have been a surprise to me, but the the realization that came to me when we were discussing it with them was they're like, yeah, we're still working on exposing it. We're still writing all the back end that we need to in order to um, in order to make the GraphQL available. I, because I'd never touched it before, it's it's an obvious statement, but there's a lot of work that goes into setting up a GraphQL server. Right. You've actually got to say, here's the field you can have, and here's how they're all related. Okay. So um, in my mind, it was, oh, it, it won't take them long to flip from API to GraphQL, but that's that was completely wrong. Here. Well, there's also uh, the thing about rate limiting, that which means how letting or restricting how much the volume that people can hit. If you give some people access to your API and it could be a free user, so to speak, or a trial user, they could hammer your API every few seconds for stuff they don't need. So you do what you call rate limiting, which restricts them from just destroying your bandwidth um, and server processes. The other side is authentication authorization. Some people get certain amount of data and other people don't. You don't want 
necessarily like at the school, there's probably some data they're not supposed to have um, for whatever kind of data restrictions and privacy that you don't want sent over the wire. So you actually have to think about all these different um, pieces for authorization. And I have no, like, I don't, the one thing I don't know about GraphQL right now is how do you efficiently maintain the rate limiting and authorization needs of almost every professional API. That's what I would imagine would be a big slowdown to set that up. Right. Right. So that, that certain, they're still working on it. And, and that's what I offered to provide them was, Hey, what if I provide you a list of all the endpoints we hit for the API, all the data we need when we hit those AP, those endpoints, um, would that help? And they're like, yes, we'll, we'll actually start to, we'll, we'll, we'll mold, we'll set direction based on what you're asking for. Um, not that they're, they're going to, uh, adhere to our whims, but that will help inform what they need to do. Um, so that was, it was a good conversation. Like I said, it's one that we've been in business six years, um, actually today. Um, and it's not a conversation we've ever had in depth with them. And that's, that's on me, um, for not, uh, not reaching out and having those conversations, um, with them and, and seeing how we can help them. Um, so I, I'm excited because I, I think there's a lot of potential there. I'm excited that we we've made some in grounds. Um, I, I, I now have talked to the vice president of engineering. I talked to the senior architect. I've talked to a lot of the, the technical leadership. So at least when I send them emails now, they'll at least can put a face with a name. So uh, which is always on the tech side, what are you using to learn GraphQL for your needs? Oh, gracious. Well, that's, that's the, Part of the problem, actually, um, is I've started to dig in and almost every tutorial I'm looking at starts with, here's how to set up a GraphQL server. Well, not what I need. I don't really care. Um, I need to work with the client. So um, there, there are later tutorials about here's how to set up the client. Here's how to use the client but you use it against the server you just set up. So I, I, I started to poke around um, graphical, graph IQL yeah. um, is the latest tool um, that's being used for uh, as, as a client tool. I don't know the right word terminology for it, but to, to, to process a, a, a GraphQL endpoint, I guess. Um, and I was able to find a couple of, of endpoints out there to query so I can go out and start playing with it. Because one thing they told me was, we have not announced this yet, but our GraphQL is actually up. Hmm. Um, the endpoint's there. So you can hit it and we'll provide back what we have. We don't have any introspection set up. So, or, or let me rephrase that. We don't have our graphical set up. So it, it's not going to just tell you everything we have. You have to actually write all the introspection queries. Yeah. Um, in, introspection being uh, just a query that says, "Okay, what data do you actually have?" Um, and and it's it's very much a case of, "Okay, tell me all the tables you have," and it'll or all the I don't objects maybe. Tell me all the objects you have, and it'll sit there and say, "Okay, I've got 
posts and I've got courses and I've got students and things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and then you say, okay, so tell me more about posts. What do you have in posts? Well, here's all the fields I have. And some of those fields will have children fields and you kind of have to dive down one at a time. Um, it's not, it's not, uh, self, yeah. uh, propagating, I guess is the way to yeah. put it. So, um, that's one thing they're doing is they're getting the, the graph, the graphical, uh, interface set up so that it's more self-documenting than it currently is. Um, but it's there. So I started playing with graphical a little, um, and that's what I need to do next is now I need to get permission from one of our clients to start hitting one of their endpoints that we already hit with for the API. Mm-hmm. Um, but just tell them, Hey, we're making these additional requests in order to test out the, um, the graph QL side of this. Um, and, and, tell them all the protections we're putting on their data because again, we're, we're talking about uh, FERPA related data. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, th- there are protections I have to do for it. So um, you, you asked about what I'm doing. I, I've, I've tried to bounce around to a few different tutorials. I'll be honest. I haven't found much that I, I'm ready to recommend just yet um, simply because it's very GraphQL server oriented. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've looked at the GraphQL, or I guess it's Prisma um, site now, Prisma.io. Um, but again, it's it's hey, you can now build a GraphQL server with any database. I'm like, I don't care. To teach someone how to make requests is usually. Like it all depends on how the server is set up. Like you can show them, hey, here are the different pieces of a request to a tip, your typical GraphQL server. But ultimately, you need the documentation to know how the query will be formed. And that is so variable that it's almost like there's just not much to teach until the documentation is ready on the server side. That's the problem. Yes. And, and, but I, it, there, there have got to be, if there aren't now, there will certainly be people like me. I need to pro- process a GraphQL endpoint. I don't really care about the server. Um, so maybe, maybe that's another set of tutorials. Somebody that's talking right now needs to write. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, maybe, maybe as I, as I dig into this a bit more, I'll, I'll expose all that out there as, as here's how I learned, here's how I did introspection in order to, to look at this data. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I think a lot of companies are going through that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah. it's worth, it's definitely worth keeping up on. Yeah. And so, so that, that, that's the, that's the technology of the, of the month. Last, last month was Firebase and. And you you got you got stuck with that one, and I think this month it's going to be a GraphQL for yeah. me. Like yeah, I've it's interesting. I've been doing I've been working on with Firestore. We kind of mentioned before that this is Firebase has two different databases. They have what they call the real time database, that which is essentially a big JSON object. Where I don't know five or six years ago, the founders of Firebase thought. We're just going to, like, all you need 
or key value pairs and a big JSON object to manage your backend data. And after Google bought them, it looks it seems like they started realizing how inefficient this was for querying and storage. And so Google went down the path of like, oh, Mongo maybe figured it out for document management better. So now they have this model of documents and collections. But there are still, I was talking to a friend the other day about what they're using on Firebase. And they basically said, I got to quit using the the DB um, because I can't do the queries I need against it. There's You can't do the multiple wares and you can't, and the indexing is difficult. And the truth is, is if you want to do like, uh, if you want to do like keyword searches with like clauses and stuff, you have to use an external search indexing, Elasticsearch, Algolia, whatever the name of it is. And I don't, and in some ways, I don't know if that's bad because even on relational databases, I learned over time that the most efficient way to have search work against a relational database is to push that search mechanism out, push it out off, off sure. of your app and have an external search engine. So I'm kind of caught in this like, oh yeah, if you're just trying to get a prototype up, you, you must immediately set up a search engine to get search working on your Firestore app. But in the rail, or not the rail, in the relational database world, you're able to get search working with Django, Rails, Node, whatever, without setting up that external search engine. But and eventually in the production world, you're going to need that search engine set up. Like anyway, it's the best sure. practice. So it's kind of interesting that... Um, and, and this friend actually had not heard this line from the fire. Like he had been reading, watching Firestore tutorials and he never, he's like, I didn't know that that was a necessary. And I remember it came up in a, a question Q and a video where someone said, how am I supposed to do a like search? And they're like, Oh, you got to offshore that. I'm like, that should be at the forefront of the services on Firestore. I mean, <laughs> of all the things that you're providing, this should be like a built-in feature, even if you charge more for it, because your database is almost useless if you can't index fields and key and strings and stuff. But yeah, that, so that's something that came up. Um, learning a lot about um, basically the app that I'm working on has three different repos now. We've got a React Native repo for our client. We've got uh, at we have a storage or sorry a hosting repo for our React admin. We have like an admin site for the client, and that's using React strict like normal web based React, and we push that up to um, Firebase hosting, which has worked really well. It's actually really efficient on the caching, so we've had a big issue with um, like not, not not being able to see our changes up on the live site. And then we've had to use um, Firebase functions to kind of mitigate some of the things that like user creation, user authentication, um, a few different patterns like exports where we were able to, we actually built a system that allows you to take Firestore data and export it to CSV 
using Firebase functions. So that's using Node and TypeScript to get that to work. And none of these solutions are very complex. Um, I just had to kind of learn it on the fly to make it work. But when you put it all together, it's a pretty robust system with very little infrastructure um, having, like I haven't set up anything other than click a few buttons. That's the benefit of Firebase and Firestore, I think. I was going to say that that's the benefit. Is that really a benefit? Ease of setup? Uh, or, or maintenance would be the bigger setup. Not as much, but. It, okay. So, so you're saying maintenance is, is the, the big benefit it, with all the pain that, that seems to come from Firebase. Uh, I guess that's just, uh, we're, we're just rehashing a discussion we had a few episodes ago about Firebase. It, it just, it just doesn't make sense to me. Um, but. Oh, it, but I guess it, if if it may, if it meets if what it provides meets your use case, then the maintenance is better than than a relational. I guess no. Oh well, you're ta- you're talking about the DB. I'm talking about the Firestore Firebase suite of product product. Oh, okay. Yeah. My bad. My bad. I still would say if you were to come to me and go, okay, what DB do you want to use for chasms right now? I'd be like, let's just go the relational route. I really don't think that our messaging is going to be hammered. Um, or at the very least, we'll use Firebase real-time DB for messages on during the day. And then we'll archive them all to a relational database for all other needs for everything beyond. And... That I could see like us having a, if we have to build a chat application for all of our tools to kind of congregate to, then I could see where we may want our, the real-time DB to be the the transactional DB and then have a relational database to be the archival um, data store. Uh, what's the term they use? You have transact- transactional and what's the other one? archival or something i can't remember sure. this is something i learned in school and obviously 20 years later i have failed that class <laughs> but the idea is that you have a dat- two different types of data stores that you're typically working with transactional is all these different like user events and stuff are triggering data store cr- like all the crud is happening at that moment your database needs to be structured a certain way for reliability and speed then you have a data store on the back end that is needs to be geared for analytical. And so one is very normalized, the other is very denormalized because analysis takes a different set of has a different set of needs and efficiencies than what a transactional has. So I can see using Firestore or the real-time DB for the transactional side and then moving that data off to an, an analytical thing, which probably is relational. Uh, or a graph type of mini multi-node type of DB. That being said, right now we're working with one only. And from a database standpoint, I would have been done way longer ago had I just been using relational, I think. On the overall setup, Firebase-wise, if you don't have a developer on staff, you're hiring a consultant, and you have to maintain this app over time, all of these managed solutions, Firebase, AWS, and Heroku, all of them make sense. I was talking to Megan the other day about this, and 
the cost of labor for a DevOps person is huge compared to the services that Heroku and Firebase you're paying pennies on the hour for. And oh yeah, and I can't ever I like I just can't. I know people that have set up their own infrastructure on AWS. I'm like, well, who's managing the East, the EC2 instances? And they're like, oh, I guess we got to hire someone. I'm like, I can't believe that's even a question right now. And with Heroku, it's a dyno. Like most I do typically is hit reboot once a year because something got jammed. But I don't like the years go by. I don't ever think about maintenance level things. They push to me like, hey, we're upgrading your DB. We're upgrading your, your server structure for you. I'm like, cool. I'm going to go back and to the bar while you guys do that because I don't have to worry about that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And on an hourly basis, you're talking pennies to $100 an hour minimum for a quality DevOps person. And that's where I just can't get past. These services are necessary for that reason, even if it's painful when you learn a new one, I would say. Yeah, and, and and we talked about this probably back in the very first or second episode where that's that's why we still use Heroku to this day for Aspire mm-hmm. EDU is it's it's a lot more economical, a lot less of a worry um, than having a, a DevOps person. Because if you have one DevOps person, you kind of need two because what if that DevOps person leaves? Yep. And um, you you got to have that backup plan in place. The other example that I use a lot, if if you have never built a website before or you're, you're part of a startup that's never owned kind of a hosting arrangement, and I give you the bill from Heroku, which is on a production level, five to $600. Um, I've had people be like, that's really expensive. And I'm like, hold on a second. I took over a company that was paying Rackspace Managed Solutions for us, two servers, two MySQL databases, custom code on the front. They hired an Indian team, India-based team to build the, co- the application out. They were paying five to $6,000 a month for the managed plan, the database storage, the bandwidth, all that. $6,000 a month. And it wasn't even working. Like they were not getting anything right. done. And, I, and we put together a team then six months rebuilt the code from scratch for the same for a, an application that did the same thing, put it on a Heroku. It was more efficient and it cost $600, 10 times less. Yep. And I'm like, if you you may not know what it costs to host, but I can assure you that until you get into the scale of millions of users a day, your Heroku or um, Engine Yard or Firebase setup will not touch the costs that you need to maintain your own custom server rack based type of deal. And it's like the where you do start to see changes is you can go out and find there's blog posts out there right now. There's one by a company called it's called Rap Genius. Now I think it's just called Genius. And they have a post where they got hammered with Heroku costs because of the traffic they were managing and what they saw as inefficient pricing. And you can see right there, you're like, okay, this firm has hit the scale where maybe Heroku doesn't make sense anymore. 
But this is a company getting hammered with traffic from, you know, not from like getting hacked or anything, but our DNS attacks. This is more of um, like they were just popular. They were in that category of needing to, we need, this costs too much. But in, like before you get to that point, it's always more efficient to go with these uh, like hosting solutions, Netlify's and stuff. Like don't set up your own server anymore. That just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And, and, and as a, as a quick side note, if, if people haven't been to genius.com, that's a, that's a great website to just lose time <laughs> in. Uh, <laughs> it started as rap genius, which was essentially what an annotation site for yeah. rap lyrics. Um, but I've used it to help my daughter with English homework on, on a book. So we looked up a, a chapter of a book to try and, and figure out what the author was trying to say. And it's, it's, it does the same thing. It's got community annotations in there. Um, so it, it's, it's certainly a place you can lose a lot of time yeah. at. Um, so that, so one thing I wanted to, 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 bring about with something I also read today. Um, Uber released to the world a framework called Fusion JS. And from what I can see, it's essentially just a, it's a web framework based on JavaScript. So just like Facebook released um, React, and um, Airbnb, if, if anyone is familiar with linting, um, which is the, the process of putting your code through a, a, a linting service to, to find errors and to make minor changes. Air, the, the standard for JavaScript is a standard that Airbnb put out there. Um, and now we've got Uber who just released this uh, open source web framework, J JavaScript framework. Um, it looks like it does not look like it's a challenger for React or, or, or Redux, uh, Redux or, or, or Vue or anything like that. It looks like it incorporates those. Um, it looks like it's bigger than that. Um, but really where I wanted to get to was is this the first, uh, how uh, I'm having, I'm struggling thinking of examples in the past where like IBM would come out and say, Oh, we, we do it this way. Everybody should do it our way. Um, is that kind of a new phenomenon? Is it brought on by the uh, open source era? Is it brought on by something else? Um, yep. I, 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 the minute this came out, I was like, okay, this is interesting. And now I wonder who's going to come out next. So let's think about there's a, on one side of, of my response is there's a strategy why companies are doing this. It goes into why Facebook does react for the most part. There's also the idea of what has, what has changed at Uber that they have joined this game of sorts. So Uber is now hit, like they had, they had the bro that was in charge for so long who, didn't care about, you know, um, gender-based issues of the company. He didn't care about the safety issues for his customers. 
basically ran, you know, had a very misogynistic type of environment in the company. And eventually they ran him out of town. I can't remember his name, but just look up, look up yeah. Bro in charge of Uber on Google. Travis Kalnick or something like that. So he got booted out. They brought in a guy that had high mark. I knew people that worked at um, the travel uh, company, starts with an E. What's that? Crap. I can't remember anything. Expedia. Uh, Expedia? Of course, I can't remember anything. Expedia. He was the CEO of Expedia. He came over to Uber. And over the last year, he's been working to improve the take care of the problems that existed that he inherited and get the engineering back on track because they were losing talent like nobody else. Like it was hard for them to hire because of the reputation um, of the company. They didn't really make it very like they couldn't hire diversely because they were an undiverse environment. And now they had all this bad press. And so my guess is that with the new leadership that comes from a quality area, they have decided just like Facebook did. We, if we go out there and create the framework of the world, then we will be able to hire the best people from that world. And so that's why Facebook in my mind started react was we need the best engineers on the planet and we don't want to have to train them um, the cost of to bring them into a proprietary environment where they have no idea what we're doing. And this code itself is can be abstracted enough that it doesn't show our secret sauce, which is grabbing cookies and abusing that power, apparently. But we can definitely, if we educate everybody out there about, hey, this is how we build front ends, then when we want to hire more people and engineers, we've got a much bigger pool to hire from and we can actually test them on, do you know React? Great. Are you a top developer? Great. Now prove it because we are the ones that manage it. And so they have great, they have some great engineers at the React team and that's why Facebook put it out there. Um, Obviously, Facebook doesn't want to go the AWS route and the Google Firebase route because they bought was it Pulse or Plus or something? It was like the Firebase competitor and they shut it down. It was like a, you could have all this, you could host every like a static website instantly. And all of a sudden they bought it for the, they, for again, the engineers to hire, so they got to aqua hire that team. And then they shut it down. They're like, we don't want to provide hosting services secondhand like AWS. We don't want to compete like that. So, but the strategy of building React is that they have at like they have quickly a workforce that has been trained through necessity of all these startups using React. They have the best engineers learning their tools from day one or before day one. And so, uh, my guess is going as to what's the motivation here for Uber. Because um, God knows we don't need another framework. I don't care how great it is. Like, it, I just I can't see it. I can't see it solving new problems that I that other ones aren't fixing. But if they release this, if they built this in house, and they can get more people to adopt it and use it, they start to build out their recruiting 
like their pool of people that like, Hey, I know fusion. How good are Then they can say, great. We've already got, you're already 20% there. Now let's prove it and then get you on board. That's what, like, I don't think it's all altruistic. Like let's contribute back to the JavaScript world. I think it, Oh, for sure. I'm not for saying sure that not. they're doing anything conniving. I don't feel like re- that Facebook is. Right. Um, when we talked to about to Greg about Greg Pollock about the view, the thing about view is that view is building out the entire ecosystem in the view world. Like you get a router, you get the, the state manager, you get all these other tools that are view focused on the React side. The only thing that Facebook has said that they really want is just know React well enough. We'll let the router people do their own thing. We'll let the uh, component people do their own thing. The data redux and all those. Like, if you can prove, we'll support the core. Everyone else build whatever the heck you want. And that's yeah, yes, no, because they they ended up hiring the the creator of Redux yeah. as well. So so yes, that 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 they're saying here's the core uh, that everybody else can plug into it. Um, but they they did go out and get the people who providing at least some of those plugins yeah. as well. because that means they know. And React, now they're right? starting to bash it. <laughs> like it's the funniest thing is not that he was being um, he didn't attack it, but Andrew Clark is one of the top public developers on the React side, and he's kind of come out and said, I don't know that I think people are overusing Redux. People are using Redux for almost every state management aspect they need. And this is probably pushing it too far. You don't need Redux for all this stuff. And I'll be honest, the the thing that I just learned that I didn't bring up was I'm not using Redux for anything on any of these projects. And I'm loving React way better. This whole idea is yeah, and- Redux, I think, is overkill. And I'm using context well, they they said that they said that back when Redux came out, they said people were using Redux too much. They were using it for all their state management. When really Redux, you know, it, it it's for your more complicated state management, right? I, but MobX is what I haven't looked at MobX, but people keep saying maybe MobX is the best way, and the people that I know have uh, used MobX okay. like it. I just have never looked at it. They they introduced context. Well, which allow like here's a common reason why you want to use Redux, because if you set up a React app in a normal state and you need to pass data, the two instances I can think of is use who is the current user, what is their role, and theme. What is the theme they chose? Dark or light or something? Or right to left, left to right? Or um, voice? They're using like a voice or screen reader or something for accessibility. How do I push to every component the state that they need to know about theme, current user, and anything else that may need to go across the whole app? And people are using Redux because they need that state kind of going everywhere instead of um, pushing it down through every component because then you get this like hierarchical structure pushing the data down. And now they have context, which is efficiently a good way to push con- like to push this shared data down across components instead of having to like do a hierarchy and also having to do redux which is just a ton of code for very little event management in my 
experience. Well, the the we, we won't. Uh, so first, thank you because I, I had not really been able to coalesce my thoughts on why did Uber do this, and I think you pretty much nailed it. Is is it's kind of a advertisement that hey, we do yeah. cool stuff. Um, I think that's one of the reasons Microsoft has flipped and and become much more open as yeah. well. Um, and and the only thing I'll say is the way I read it. Um, you said we we don't need another JavaScript framework. Well, this seems to be um, at an even higher level mm-hmm. than React. So there there is no JavaScript web framework, yeah. right? Right now we have front-end frameworks. Um, we don't have a Laravel, a WordPress, a Drupal. Uh, uh, um, Laravel was the best because the other two are content management systems. But... We don't have a framework for JavaScript that everybody we, that everybody's we comfortable. Don't have pop, yeah, yeah, that's a key. We don't have a popular one. Popular, okay. They sales, exist. Sales yeah. is one of them. Yeah, and but but why hasn't it taken off? I don't know. I, there's a whole like I should actually get one of my friends to come on um, because he has a big thing about why Rails on the front end doesn't work. But um, I don't know either. But I think it has to do with how custom the front end. I mean, the way I explain to my students, if you go into the world of React and like if you go into the world of single page app front end technology, you are now pulling back end work like you're pulling functionality that was handled by the back end the server and you're now pulling it onto the front end it's now it's now handling requests by itself like it's not going to the server and going what is this resource what is this endpoint it's like it is the endpoint manager and you're so now you've got a completely new world which is almost full stack on the front end and I don't know that it's that easy to make a like the server with the server was easy, I think, because it was one request in, one request back. But now you've got this event management stuff going on and data store management on the front end. I think it's just too complex. Could be yeah, wrong, sure. but I, I think sure. that's why. No, that 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 make, that makes total sense. So it, it's I think there's space out there. Um, for 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 something, um, sales could be it. I don't know how fusion compares to sales. I'll be interested to see. Um, I think the the over under on when this is addressed by Wes Boss and Scott Talinsky on syntax is probably a month. <laughs> yeah, right. Because they they, they are the ones you, uh, that I go to for for JavaScript. Um, the JavaScript Jabber guys will probably address it here in the next month as well, if not sooner. Yeah. Uber will be pushing it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uber's gonna now that it's out there, they're gonna hammer this thing, and and everybody's gonna be out there trying to figure out how to best use it. All right, so that we we kind of hit a few different things today. Um, was there anything else you wanted to hit? Uh, no. The only thing I'm gonna add, go back to what we just talked about. Uber has to prove they're a good steward. Steward, not steward. Steward's a character on a cartoon. <laughs> they need to prove they're a good steward of open source. Like, I don't have any reason to say that they won't be. But when's the last time you heard about great tech? Like, 
I use Uber to get around town. So I don't have any problems with their technology as a user. But when is the last time you've ever heard of Uber open sourcing and contributing back to the community? And you haven't. And that's fine. There's lots of companies that don't. But if you all of a sudden want to do that, you have to prove that you're going to. Are you going to maintain this thing for many years? Are you going to improve it? Are you going to teach about it? Like those kind of things. Like that's what you you see. Hmm? Are you open to changes? So that's part of open source too, right? Is somebody comes in and says, well, this is a better way to do this. This This is literally a better way to do this. And they, they implement a a pull request. And if, if Uber just lets it sit there, then that kind of tells you that this was all an advertising thing and not really a contribution. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not fusion sound. Fusion sounds to me like a 19 late nineties type of tech brand. I don't, (laughs) I, I don't know why they chose that name because I feel like I've heard it before. Um, maybe a cold fusion. That's why. Because that, that brings back thought memories of cold fusion, which is not a good memory, folks. Not. No, I, I've, 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 got, got friend, I've got a friend who's still, that's his main language of choice. Hey, if it pays, man, keep doing it. But yeah. <laughs> when it comes to, uh, when it comes to the mem- like I've gotten, I've gotten some good chunks of money out of former cold fusion projects that have had to go to, to the um, dustbin. So, so yeah, like I, I just Uber has. If you want to be an open source contributor at that the scale that Uber is, you have to prove it. And well, to, I'm to bring, open to, to it. Bring this, to bring this conversation full circle, that's part of the that's part of the CEO's keynote at from Instructure at the conference I was at because yeah. Canvas is an open source product. Infrastructure will sell it to you. They will sell it to you all day. But Canvas itself is an open source product. You can take it, you can clone it, you can run it, and you don't have to pay them a thing. Yeah. Now, there's a lot involved in all that. But one of the examples they showed that Instructure themselves showed was a penitentiary somewhere um, was using Canvas for in, to, to, to help uh, maintain the records of inmates for for classes being given inside the penitentiary. Um, why is that interesting? Because there was no internet access. Yeah. Because you can't have the the you can't have the inmates on the internet. So this was a this was an instance of Canvas running on a local network with no internet. So that that was a very interesting um, use there. So just to bring it full circle, Canvas has shown that they're a decent steward of the open source uh, product that they released. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I had a lot of fun out there, and 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 I. This was a good discussion day. We hit a bunch of different points. So. Yeah. Well, we haven't talked for a while. I mean, the, we've gone to this bi-weekly <laughs> schedule with our podcast, and which is working great. And you were traveling, and I was doing stuff so yeah like we haven't had a little chit chat about tech in a while so this was good yeah all right very good so i think we'll, we'll wrap up for this week um and we will see you soon right later thanks for listening to this old app show notes and previous episodes can be found on our website at www.thisoldapp.online 
Reviews on Apple iTunes are always appreciated and help promote the show. For questions, comments, or things you would like to hear on future shows, please email us at hello at thisoldapp.online. Show music is Guns Blazing by Fab Claxton, licensed by Pond5. Voiceover work by makingvoices.com. You'll hear from us soon.